Hey, good morning, folks. I want to thank you again for joining us on uh, Liberty's online content for this week. And uh, before we get to the actual passage that we're going to look at, I want to invite you to a picnic that we're going to be having at the church August the 16th. We're going to do it right there at the pavilion, have a couple of tents set up, do some uh, inflatable obstacle course stuff for the kids, as well as cornhole, and the picnic will be provided by the church. So, so come on out on the 16th. Come to the service at 10.30, stay for the meal and the picnic afterward and enjoy some family uh, togetherness, uh, a time to celebrate with your body, uh, the, the body of believers that, uh, that chooses to worship at Liberty Grace. So if you're interested, August the 16th service is going to be at 10.30 like normal, and then there'll be a meal of immediately after. Uh, keep your eyes open too. There's going to be a letter coming out soon uh, for some details about what's been going on, some of the things that we've gotten to do at the church, as well as some of the things that we're going to be doing as we go into the fall here. Uh, so continue to, to pay attention to those things and we look forward to seeing you uh, back in person eventually. Um, so we've been going through the book of Mark and as we find ourselves here continually praying about what the, the Lord is doing in the midst of, of the pandemic and how life is so chaotic, uh, I can't help but continue to, to think about what it was like for, for Jesus as he came to earth, he gave up all of his heavenly uh, operations, all of the things that he had at his fingertips there, all of those uh, things that God had given to him, uh, he laid all of that aside to come to earth and to be a part of what was going on at that time inside of the Israelite community, inside of that Jewish nation, as they were being oppressed by a Roman occupation. They were continually taxed. There were things that, that were being done to them from the governmental side that, that was taxing literally, financially, physically, spiritually, all of those things. And I wondered, as we follow Jesus through the book of Mark and watch him navigate the landscape, there are so many lessons that we need to learn, that we can continue to look to him for inspiration, for guidance and wisdom as he teaches his disciples. And this passage is one that we find familiar to our Easter scene. You know, it's the time when it's the triumphal entry of Jesus. And there's been a lot of talk in the last few weeks of his return uh, that, that we would hope for, for Jesus to come back and restore this earth to what it is that we know it was intended to be. And we're not there yet, but, but Jesus had an opportunity to, to ride into Jerusalem and, and triumphantly enter the city that was at the core of Christianity, what would become Christianity, what was the core of, of the religious of Judy, the religion of Judaism at the time. And so we watch him send his disciples, right, into the city to find this cult 
and untie it and bring it back to him so that he can ride into Jerusalem on this colt. So in Mark chapter 11, verses 7 through 11, we see this, this picture unfold that you're familiar with, that when they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went on ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So this was at the pinnacle of Jesus's ministry. This was at the height of his popularity. It was still the place where most people were not familiar with why Jesus had come. They were just familiar with what he was capable of doing. If you've been following along, we're trying to draw a real distinction between the physical nature of our world and the things that we are in control of here and that spiritual nature that Jesus was coming to establish, the things that he was changing. And as Jesus rides in, we see them crying out to him, regarding him as the king on the, uh, in the line of their father, David. They're praising him. He's riding triumphantly into the city. And this would be a picture of what was common in that day for kings to return from a successful battle, a campaign that would have conquered lands and delivered people and, and restored something. They would triumphantly ride back into town with a procession that was only fit for a king. And so they were welcoming this king into their midst, and he rides into Jerusalem. And I find it peculiar that as he rides in, it's late in the day, and his first thought is he goes to the temple courts, and he wants to look around. But it was late and he left without really doing anything. And so I started to think, well, why did he do that? And I started to look and research and read some commentaries and see what else fit together. And some of the research that I found was, was that in John chapter 2, Jesus had already been to the temple. Uh, it's recorded there in John 2. This was the second time that, that we're going to read a story familiar to, to some of our readers uh, that Jesus had gone in and he formed a whip right? He makes this whip and he clears the temple in John chapter 2. He sends everyone out of the temple at Jerusalem that was selling on uh, the lambs, the doves, all of those things that was turning uh, his house into something that it was not intended to be. Jesus's reason for riding into Jerusalem was to check on the spiritual temperature of the city not the political climate. 
As he rode in, it seems as if he's being proclaimed king. It seems as if he is being acknowledged as one who has power over all things. But in reality, what the people of the day were saying was we want a king that's going to solve the problems politically, financially, the systematic things that were going on inside of Jerusalem that were against them. And if you know why Jesus went to the temple courts and you look back to John chapter 2 and the fact that, that he had cleared the temple, he was going back to see what the people had done. If I've already cleared the temple once, if I've removed those things that I think are inappropriate in my father's house, did it stay that way? And it was late in the day and he decides to to leave the temple after he's walked around and he goes and he spends the night with his disciples. The story in Matthew is in chapter 23 and in Luke chapter 19, I believe, that, that this same story is accounted by the other disciples. And there's a piece that is in those that you also need to know about. That as, as Mark records the details here and includes that he goes to the temple, Matthew and Luke also recorded that as he rides into town, he's weeping for the city. He already knows that they misunderstand his coming. That he is crying and verbalizing things like captured in Luke, that if you only knew what would actually bring you peace this day. This story is so rich and so full and it's recorded in all of the gospels for us to be able to read and to look through and the nuances of it. And the people recognized him as a king, but Jesus ended up weeping as he approached the city because he was really coming to check the spiritual climate, not the political climate, not the economic status, not those things. He really cared about the eternal state of the Jewish people. It's demonstrated in Matthew and Luke and in John we see the the clearing of the temple for the first time. And then here in Mark, we see the first thing that he does is, is go to the temple courts. He looks over everything and then he retreats to Bethany with his disciples. And he spends the night with them. And then the next day, we have this story encapsulated here about him uh, cursing a fig tree that's a story maybe for another day. And if you jump past that down to Mark 11 verses 15 through 19, you see that on the next day, and, and this is also recorded in the other gospels, that on the very next day after he's been to the temple and he looked around and he had a night to sleep on it, in verse 15, he goes back in to Jerusalem. And upon reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts 
And he began to drive out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and they began to look for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went back out of the city. Now there are four things just in this small passage that, that I want to articulate, okay? As you set up the scene with Jesus riding in, being proclaimed as a king, ending up weeping over the city and going to the temple to check the spiritual climate of the temple itself, using it as a gauge to see where the people are, we know how he reacts the very next day. And he goes back and Jesus enters the temple courts. He begins to drive people out that were buying and selling. He turns over tables. He is making quite a scene inside of the temple. And I'm sure the religious leaders were all gathered around looking for a way to stop him. And there's a righteous anger that comes out of Jesus. And I want you to be clear when, when I say righteous anger, it's something that, that it might only be possible for Jesus to possess this. Because there is a purity to what he is doing that we cannot fathom in a human condition. He is inside of his father's house, the place that is supposed to be a house of prayer, as we'll read in a moment. And he is indignant about what is going on inside of those walls. That there had been a system set up long before for the people to care for their sacrifices, to, to offer a sacrifice for the sins that they carry in their hearts these lambs, these doves, these offerings were to be made as a blood sacrifice to repent of their sin. And what was going on inside of the temple were these lambs and these doves were being bought and sold. They were to be without blemish. They were to be a, a representation of the firstborn of the flock. They were to be given out of the overflow of, of your love for God. If you were a Jew and you had the best lamb in your flock, you were to bring it and you were to offer it back to God as a way to say, thank you for giving me everything that I have. It's the way that we view things here at Liberty that our vision would be that we would live our lives in such a way that we would express to others that we believe Jesus gives us everything, that everything he gives to us, that our lives are supported through him, and then all the glory is due back to him. That's not something different in this passage. It's all the same. That that the Jewish people were to raise up these lambs. It was part of their, their agricultural 
uh, culture, and they would bring them the firstborn, unblemished, these perfect lambs, and say to God, thank you. Thank you for loving me, and, and thank you for forgiving me of my sins. And what was happening is, is it was very clear as he calls the house of, house of prayer, and you have turned it into a den of robbers. And so what was going on inside of these temple courts were, as, it, as we look through some historical documents and try to evaluate what, what some of these buyers and sellers were, is that you could come unprepared to make your sacrifice, but don't worry about that. Have I got such a deal for you? Here is a lamb. Look at how good this lamb is. And you could buy the lamb right there inside of the court, go in to make your sacrifice and be absolved of whatever it was that you were struggling with. And even on top of that, there was another layer that the priests were conspiring to. They were selling these lambs that would have a minor defect. People would buy the lamb, take it in to offer the sacrifice, and then the priest would say, your lamb isn't good enough. Go get another one. And they'd make them go back out and buy another lamb. And so, so these priests were operating a, a racketeering scheme. They, they had taken these lambs and, and said, we're going to force people to buy them because the law says you've got to have a lamb for this and this for this. And, and we're going to provide them right here. It's a one-stop shop and, and you can come to the temple and, and we'll absolve you of your sin if you just buy the right lamb. And if... if you don't have quite enough money, then you can buy a couple of these doves. They're a little cheaper and we'll figure out how to make it work for you. But it was really about robbing the people of their money and, and, and supporting the priest's lifestyle that had become. It was a very human thing. And, and Jesus said, this is not what my house and my father's house was supposed to be. You've turned it into a den of robbers. You've made it something that it's not supposed to be. And the Jewish people were unfortunately buying into the system literally. And they were being robbed as well of a relationship with their God. You see, they could have taken what God had given them, whatever it was. And they could have set aside that first portion and said, you know what, God, I'm going to honor you by setting this aside. And I want to have this kind of relationship with you that is, that, is, that is honoring and glorifying to you that what you give to me, I live through it and then I give the glory back to you. But they were robbing themselves of that opportunity by the convenience of the temple surroundings here. So not only were the chief priests literally robbing people of their money and their livelihood, but the, they were robbing the people of an opportunity to know Jesus, to know the one true God. And so when Jesus comes in 
upsets the, the tables, clears the deck as it were. The chief priests and the teachers of the law began looking for a way to kill him because they were afraid of him. These chief priests, the third thing is they had lost control. They were going to be out of control of their own lifestyle and it generated fear in them and, and fear is a powerful thing, isn't it? It changes the way you view your world sometimes. And it has no place in the heart of a Christian. It has no place in the heart of a religious leader. They were afraid and it changed the way they viewed Jesus because he was upsetting literally the tables from which they were eating on. And they were looking for a way to kill him because... The final thing, the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And so he was teaching a lesson through his righteous anger, through his overturning of the tables, for by his contempt for these religious leaders, he was saying, this is not the system that should be in place. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. And I am here to restore it to its rightful place. I'm here to take it back to what it was intended. And the crowd was amazed with that teaching. Unfortunately, we know that in a week, the crowd had flipped and turned against Jesus. But we'll get to that next week. For a moment, I want you to think about what it would have been like to see Jesus coming into the church. You see, Jesus rode into town, right? And, and if we knew Jesus was coming, we would probably line the streets, right? I have an opportunity to, to coach at the high school level, and I'm so thankful for those things. In the last couple of years, we've, we've had some pretty good seasons, and it's been a pretty amazing ride, and and. Our community has been very supportive. And it's a pretty amazing thing to see the streets lined with people as you're going off to a football game or coming home from a football game when you're victorious. And, and that's a little bit of a glimpse of what was happening here in Jerusalem, that people were lining the streets to, to, to welcome Jesus as their king. And if we knew Jesus was coming, if we had been given some insider information that Jesus was going to stop in Johnstown, we would be thankful in these moments inside of our pandemic when our fear is at a fever pitch and we just want it to end, to know that Jesus was coming would be a hope that we could hang on to. And we'd line the streets and we would welcome him and welcome the change, wouldn't we? But don't miss why Jesus came to Jerusalem. Jesus came to check the spiritual climate and so... If Jesus were to come here as he did to Jerusalem, it seems as if his first stop would be at the church. And he would wonder if we learned anything from the past. Have we really listened to his teaching? Would he come weeping into the city? because he knows that we've already missed it? Would he come weeping, knowing that, that these people will never have peace 
because they don't understand the Prince of Peace. The whole crowd was amazed at his teaching in that moment. We have the scriptures. We have accounts given to us by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Apostle Paul as he travels throughout all of the known world and plants churches in Jesus' name. We have all of that information here. My challenge this week to you, church, body, is fairly simple. That as we see and read these things and we think about the possibility of what it's going to look like for Jesus to return, and, and we've talked about that and, and the end days we pray for that Jesus would come and restore this world to its rightful place. Do we allow that to affect our everyday living and breathing and working and loving? Or do we just go back to business as usual like they did in the temple? After the first time he cleared the temple, they went right back to business as usual. After he visited and did what he needed and he taught the same lesson, he comes back and he enters Jerusalem and he has to do it a second time. He overturns the tables and he, and he makes one clear statement here that, that Mark records for us. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so as we battle through some of the things that we are going through and we think about the illustrations of this passage as we see Jesus revisiting his chosen people and having to do, do the same thing again in the temple. What is it that we need to be doing to restore the church to a place that can be a house of prayer for all nations? If that's what we're supposed to be doing, shouldn't we be praying for one another? Shouldn't we be praying for the people of Johnstown and the condition of their hearts? Shouldn't we be praying for our elected officials and those people that, that are setting policy to help us navigate the times that we're in? Praying for our teachers as they think about returning to school that the church should be about those things. That Jesus didn't come to Jerusalem to change the political climate, the economic status, but he went right to the church. He went right to Jerusalem and he upset their world and said, get back to doing what you are supposed to be doing. Being a house of prayer. A place where we are lifting up our fellow believers, those who don't know Jesus yet, and we are glorifying God. We are seeking His will, not ours.
So this week, I want to challenge you to spend some devoted time in prayer. To really get on your knees. If you've never done it, I challenge you to do it. To just get onto your knees. I, my knees are not great. I get on my knees and I put the majority of my weight on the couch sofa, on the sofa cushions, and I kind of bury my head in them and I can pray that way. Sometimes it's not very articulate. It's just kind of what's in my head. And I would challenge you to spend some time this week doing that. That we as a body, as his body, would return to the things that are most glorifying to him, that we would ask for his help, that we would seek out his answers. We would look for his peace. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you give to us. Lord, thank you for this dialogue that we can have with you, that we get to pray directly to the creator and the sustainer, the author, the perfecter of our lives. Lord, thank you for taking such good care of us. Lord, I pray that you would lead us, that we would follow you as the head of our church, that we would pray to you for the answers to get through our everyday living and breathing and coming and going. Father, thank you. I pray that, that your body unites around this common theme, that we would cry out to you in this week, that we would lay it all at your feet and that we would truly understand that thing that would bring us peace. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for your peace, your comfort in a world that seems to have lost its mind. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.